I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, folks. Jason Thomas with the Hardway MBA. Very excited to share with you a, a guest uh, who I met several months ago, and we've had a fun time trying to get this interview scheduled, but I guarantee you it's going to be worth it. Uh, folks, I want to introduce you to, to Kristen Hadid. Um, you know, Kristen has a very impressive background, uh, entrepreneur from a very young age, and really inspiring to me personally, which is why I, I want you guys to listen to her. Now, I know I said entrepreneurs, so you folks out there that are not entrepreneurs, don't turn this off. This is for you. Um, Kristen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, coming online with my, my crew here. Thanks uh, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, can you just in, take a few a minute or two and kind of introduce yourself just a little bit? Sure. So I am what you might call an unlikely entrepreneur. Um, I started a company in college that I never intended to start. I cleaned a house just because I needed to buy a pair of jeans that I wanted and could not afford. So broke college student, put an ad on Craigslist to clean someone's house, thought that would be the end of the story just to make enough money for these jeans. And the woman who hired me wanted me to clean her house every week. And so I started just cleaning her house and then forgot to take the ad down and had other people contacting me. And before I knew it, I was cleaning houses almost every day. And I went to school for finance. So I wanted to move to New York and work on Wall Street. And I thought, you know, I had my whole life figured out. I wanted to make at least $100,000 a year. And I wanted a, a job that would give me a gym membership. And yeah, I had this whole list of things. And that is not what happened for me. I own a cleaning company and I am 29 years old and it's just so funny how, you know, your whole, the trajectory of your life can completely change by something just as simple as a, as a Craigslist ad. Yeah, totally. So this cleaning company that you own, you still, you still run this, right? Yeah. So the company is called Student Made and we are located in Florida. We're based out of Gainesville. And what happened is I, so I started cleaning houses in college and then I got a contract right before my, my senior year. And the contract was to clean hundreds of empty apartments. So I hired a bunch of college students to help me. And it was a disaster. 45 of them quit on the third day. So I was able to get them back. But that's a story for another day. Just, you know, I had no idea what it took to be a leader. And there was something really interesting and exciting about it. And I couldn't really explain it to people. But I just I was excited about this cleaning business. And I got a job offer in finance. I turned it down because I just didn't have that same excitement about the job that I did mm -hmm. with the cleaning company. So here we are several years later. I turned down that job in see, 2010 and we've employed hundreds of students over the years and we are known for our culture and the impact that it has on the people who we employ. So, I mean, cleaning and finance, I am not, I'm not really seeing the connection. Um, I'm not seeing what drew you, what drew you back to the cleaning company. It sounds like there were some real struggles there. Um, are you a glutton or 
is there is there something deeper that I'm missing that kind of pulled you back down to Florida into this cleaning business and mm-hmm. kept you there and has kept you there for the last you know seven years now mm-hmm. well it's there certainly isn't anything related between the two you know finance and cleaning I think for a while, I call it blind inspiration. You know, I knew that there was something there that was inspiring me to be there. I didn't know what it was and I couldn't articulate it. And I don't think our students knew what it was either. All they knew is they wanted to be a part of this company, even though they were scrubbing dirty toilets and it was hard work. And the thing about student made is that we, we don't have a lot of money. You know, the cleaning industry is not the most profitable industry. So we can only afford to pay our employees just a little bit over minimum wage. And when I started the company, everything I made, I I had to put back into it. So I turned down this high salary job for, I could barely afford rent and ramen noodles. And so, you know, I always thought money was the driver. And and I think when you go to college, you, you, you want a job that has X, you know, figures. And this was the first time I realized, well, maybe everything I've believed about what I want in my life is not true. Um, so I, I had to figure out what it was that was inspiring. And there were a series of events that happened that made me realize kind of what was what was going on at Student Made. And I can share those if you want. Yeah, hey, please do. What what I, I, I want to know a little bit. I want to know about the, that series of events. And I want to know really kind of what pulled you what pulled you back. There's obviously something there that mm-hmm. it almost sounds inescapable. Mm hmm. Well, student made employs mainly millennials. So the next generation of leaders and millennials, in case anyone's listening is no, you know, if you're not aware that that's the generation born between about 1981 to 2002. And there are a lot of challenges that come along with this generation. And I'm a millennial myself. And this isn't the same for every single one of our employees, but many of us grew up with helicopter parents who loved us so much and, and wanted to give us the world. But what they did is they solved our problems for us and they protected us from failure. And without intentionally meaning for this to happen, as a result, a lot of us don't have confidence and we aren't capable of solving problems on our own or, or, we're, or we're afraid to because we're afraid to fail. So I was looking around at my employees and I just noticed, you know, in the interview, there wasn't confidence. It's like, they couldn't look me in the eye or if they had a, a challenge on the job or a question, they were afraid to ask or they would hide behind an email instead of talking to my face. Or we even would have parents call and, and uh, want to request off for their children or say, Hey, you know, my child has to study. And I, my phone was always ringing. I felt like I was always solving everyone's problems. It would, it would be something simple. Like they'd walk into a house and they would say, my mop broke, you know, but there's a, a the client has a mop. Should I use it? And I'd be thinking, yeah, use the, you know, why are you calling me about this <laughs> simple question? But what I realized is that people just didn't have confidence and they were so afraid to fail. And uh, I made it my goal every day to instill confidence in people. And so the culture at, from the beginning at Student Made was very much built on allowing people to screw up in teaching them to be independent problem solvers in watching them blossom and and become self-reliant. And I notice a difference in these people. It's like they would come in our doors one way and then when they would graduate, they would be completely different. They they could walk into a room, they could build a relationship with you, they could solve their problem, they could confidently, you know, handle any situation and 
that that's what it was for me as a leader that was so exciting. It was like these people were coming in and what can I do to impact their life so that they leave here better, even though they're cleaning toilets along the way. Um, it was a good friend of mine by the name of Simon Sinek. I'm sure many of you know Simon or have heard of him and his wonderful work. He wrote the book, Start With Why, and came up with this concept called the Golden Circle, which is where inspiration comes from. And what Simon believes is that many people know what they do, which is, you know, for me, it was cleaning. Some people know how they do it. That could be your values or your competitive advantages. For me, it was that I only hired students. That's what, that's what made student made different, but very few people know why they do it. And the why is the, the cause or the belief or the purpose. And without knowing that, it can feel like every day you're going to work and you're just kind of wandering around and you just don't really know, what, is, what am I supposed to be doing here? What, what is my contribution? What impact am I having? And then you leave at the end of the day wondering if you even made a difference or if your work mattered at all. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I knew there was something there, the why, but I just didn't know what it was. And Simon helped me discover that. And he has a book called Start With Why. I would recommend everyone read it. It's incredible. But our why comes from stories from our past. And when we think about the most positive memories in our lives, the the ones that really moved us when we thought, man, that was a special day or that was a special moment. Maybe it's a moment that when we think about it, we even get emotional because that's how much it meant to us. There's usually a golden thread that we can you know, tie between all these memories and that becomes our why. And so when Simon led me down what we call why discovery, which is the, the actual, you know, discovering of your why, he asked me a lot of questions about my past and my childhood. And what I realized is that the culture I had created at Student Made was very similar to the one my parents had built for my sister and I at home. And they were very much pro-failure. They would let us try anything and everything, even if they knew we would fail miserably at it. And I think that's why I became an entrepreneur. You know, I remember as a kid wanting to have a store and I I was in fifth grade. How am I going to have a store? But my dad helped me build this wooden stand and I would sit out there on the street. And of course I didn't have any customers, but you know, it was just like, who cares if you want to do something, let's just do it. Who cares if it fails? So he made me realize that that was the culture I was emulating at Student Made. And he helped me find my why, which is that I create an environment that empowers people to try so that they transcend limits. And that became everything at Student Made. That was what we started talking about. We would say to people, hey, you know, if you want to really work in a place that empowers you to try so that you become a better person, so that you transcend whatever the, the limits are that you have, this is the place for you. And by the way, bring a, a vacuum because we're going to be cleaning while we do that. <laughs> and so, it just, yeah, it just changed everything. So that's awesome. You know, and I've heard of Simon Sinek. I've seen, you know, he's got one of, if, if, if any of my listeners haven't seen his TED Talk, that's the quickest introduction to, mm-hmm. uh, to Simon. Um, and if you, can, if you can watch that and not think, oh, I got to read that book, then you're, you're a different kind of person than I am. And you should probably just kind of turn this off and go away. <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of my listeners are, you know, a lot of them are sales folks. A lot of them are, I mean, I, I talk about ambitious corporate professionals a lot. Um, we're not necessarily entrepreneurs um, going out to start our own thing mm-hmm. and looking for the why. Uh, so I, I feel like some of these folks will, will push back on this a little bit and think, yeah, it sounds kind of fluffy. This, this why mm-hmm. concept, I, I've got a quota and I'm going to hit it. 
There's right. no, there's no why in there. It's a number. I'm going to hit it. Right. Um, you know, do we need to, does that mean to you that to be fulfilled, we may need to consider quitting our jobs, doing something different? How do we, how do we kind of balance these two seemingly opposite ends of a spectrum? Mm-hmm. Well, the simple fact is that, you know, entrepreneur or not, 87% of the world is disengaged at work, which means that we're uninspired, we're unfulfilled, we go home at the end of the day wondering, you know, did it matter today what I did? And what the why does for anyone is it helps you understand the way that you can contribute every day, no matter if it's at work or in your personal life or with your friends or with your family. And the why provided so much clarity for me. It it helped me realize this is what I'm really good at. And this is where, this is what I can contribute every day when I'm at work. I can empower somebody to try. I can empower my friends to try, my family. And it became sort of like my compass, you know, I'm not going to work on projects or work with people or work with customers who have the opposite why. If there's somebody who is already looking down on our students and they don't believe in our students and they're not giving them a chance, well, I don't want to work with you. And it helped make some decisions for me a lot easier. So I wanted to give that same feeling to all of our employees. So every single one of our team members and our leadership team, our executive team, they went through why discovery and they have their own why that is very different from my why. They aren't the owner of the company. But it helps them see how, you know, how they contribute in this organization. And so you don't have to be the quote unquote owner of the company. You know, to me, everyone's an owner. Um, the everyone's contributions are what make a company. But what's your niche? How can you contribute, whether you're selling, whether you're with your friends, whether you're with your family? And I think for sales, especially the why is so important because you, you want to work with people who believe what you believe. You attract people because they believe what you believe. What a big part of Simon's talk and in his book is that the why is actually what drives decision-making. You know, you see these ads for attorneys or for cars and it's like, hire this law firm, call 1-800 or buy this car. You know, it's, it's fast. And does anyone actually call the number and do it? No, because it's not inspiring because you're just telling me what you have. And when we can learn to talk about what our belief is, we get people on board because they believe what we believe. So I think the best example of this is our customers. Student made is not the best cleaning service. We have, we have royally screwed up. We have lost someone's cat <laughs> and they Oops. don't stop that was, using us. That might've been doing them a favor. It I was know, a cat. I I mean, know. I, <laughs> <laughs> but they, you know, we found, I should probably say we found the cat. We did it. <laughs> But the point is that they believe in our why. They want to empower these students. They want them to um, have feedback when they fail. So it doesn't even matter for the best cleaning service. We're pretty good. I'm not saying we're not we're, we're good, but they're more uh, willing to, they're loyal because they believe in our why. Now, does that mean that everyone is that way? No. Of course, we lose customers just like any other business. But when people believe what you believe, they're loyal. And that's why it matters in sales. So have you seen your, I mean, you work with students. Mm -hmm. um, So your employees are students and they graduate. And I imagine some of them stay on with you, but most of them probably, probably graduate and move on with their lives and go somewhere else. Yeah. Is that accurate? Well, yeah. You know, we actually, our policy is that once you graduate, you have to leave. Now, if somebody is in that awkward in between stage of trying to figure out what they want to do, we absolutely sure. allow them to stay. 
So yeah, we do also hire people who have graduated to join our leadership team. And that's, you know, student made is a, um, a tough company to lead because you have to be a very patient leader. You invest all this time, but then these people leave and they move on and that's right. where they blossom. And so that's my question. You have these people leave and you've, you've really helped them discover their why. Mm-hmm. How is, how is that, how is that manifesting itself in their, their other job, in their corporate gig, in their, in their finance gig that actually was their calling? maybe? Right. Well, I think millennials in general have a tough challenge because we've grown up, you know, we're the participation generation. We get the trophy just because we were on the team, even if we didn't hit the ball, even if we won last or, you know, I, I'd heard of a high school who stopped recognizing a valedictorian just because they didn't want one person to stand out. So we've been told we're special. We're great. You know, you can have the world. We go to these career fairs and there's hundreds of booths. And we think that when we graduate, we're swimming in a sea of opportunity. And then it actually happens. And we realize, wait, we're not. And maybe I'm not that special. So I think where the why helps people is it, it shows them what they're good at, what their contribution is, and how can they find something that allows them to live that. Otherwise, you're just wandering around, you know, hoping that this place is going to be a good fit. And sometimes it's not. And that's painful. So we see a lot of our students go off to start their own companies. We see a lot of them take on leadership positions. We see a lot of them change majors because they realize I'm not going to school for something I actually want to go to school for. And I think more than anything, the why provides clarity so that, you know, hopefully you you find that place of fulfillment um, a little bit faster and you're not wandering around for the first 10 years of your career trying to find this, this, your calling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that the first 10 years of my career were wandering, but uh, I was not doing then what I'm doing now. So right. this is- well, and you can apply your why, you know, I don't think you're looking for a, the, what, the, what is it, the industry, the type right. of job, yep. it's, is it a place, you know, it's the environment. Can you, can you live your why in this environment? If you can live it in a cleaning company, I would argue you could probably live it anywhere. You live it in a lot right. of places. That's yeah. for sure. So, so you've talked a couple of times about why discovery. Um, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, I think, we may have convinced some folks here. All right. This why idea has some merit. Let's, I would like to actually be inspired with what I do every day. Uh, even if that means making some changes in what I do. Um, so help us understand how do we get started understanding? How would I get started understanding my why? Well, what's, so I would recommend watching Simon's Ted talk and reading his book, start with why. Mm-hmm. They're actually working on a workbook that will be out in the near future that you can use to discover your why, which will be amazing. Mm-hmm. But as I said before, the why comes from stories of your, of your past, memories of things that where you were at your best and you felt like this, this day mattered to me because I helped this person or this happened. Or, so start recording those. You know, what, what, notice the days that you leave work and you feel so fulfilled. Your cup is full because you just, it was a good day. What happened that day? Write it down and see if you can put together this common theme. You know, is it always when this kind of thing happens that you, that, you know, is it when you build a special relationship with someone? Is it, for me, it was when I pushed someone to do something they didn't think they could do and they were able to do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, that the why is the thread that kind of ties them all together. So is this something that as you're working with other folks, uh, is it generally, an, I don't know, that, that, those are pretty easy instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
At the same time, I have personally feel like I've struggled with this mm-hmm. over the last, I don't know, 40 years of my life. Yeah. And, and it hasn't been easy. So mm-hmm. how, if it's not easy, is it easy? If it's not easy, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, the, what's interesting about the why is when you look at the human the cross section of the human brain, if, if I were to draw the golden circle, um, the how and the what these parts of the brain, if the golden circle looks like a cross section of the human brain and the, mm-hmm. the, the what and the how are the neocortex, which drives, it's, it's the part of our brain that processes data and statistics, but it doesn't drive decision-making. So it, it has the capacity for language, but doesn't drive decision-making. The part of our brain that's responsible for all of our feelings, like love, loyalty, trust, correlates to the why. That's our limbic part of our brain. Mm-hmm. It drives all of our decision-making, but it does not have the capacity for language. So it, when you say, you know, it's like you have all the facts and figures, but something just doesn't feel right and you can't articulate it. You just right. say, I don't know if something doesn't feel right. I feel it in my gut. That's because right. it's in that limbic part of your brain. So the why is in the limbic part of our brain, which it's very hard to articulate. So the best thing we can do is to have a friend talk through these stories with us or to ask somebody who knows us very well, what do you think I contribute? You know, what do you think my, what do I, what value do I add to your life and to the things that I touch? And when we actually do why discovery, we do it with others because of that reason, it's really hard to articulate it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know one of the, I go through exercises where I'll, I will write a lot and writing mm-hmm. helps me formulate thoughts, helps me formulate arguments and, and be more compelling. Um, and, and I'm using myself as an example here because I think a lot of folks do this, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the trouble there is I'm engaging a different part of my brain. I'm engaging a part that's very linguistic and very logical. Right. And that's, that's the how or the what. And certainly right. not that emotional piece in, in, in the why. So, so how will I know, so let's assume for a minute that I can, I can talk through this and I can start to find it. Mm -hmm. Um, How will folks know when they have found it? Well, I think even if you do an actual why discovery, so if I came into your organization and we did why discovery together, you would not leave with your why in perfect condition. The goal is to just get the essence of it. And then it's something that you have to let simmer. You have to sit on it for a while. You have to keep perfecting it. I don't love the words of my why. You know, I'm, I don't think my why is, is perfect by any means. And I still am thinking about it. What, you know, could I change this word or that word? And I think you just know when you have it. You know, for me, I would say I'm 90% there. But a year ago, I was probably 75% there. So it's something that can change and evolve over time and can be, you know, the words can change, but the right. essence should be there. So, well, again, uh, if, if we're dealing in words, we're dealing in trying to articulate that emotional mm-hmm. thing that is, is difficult to articulate. Right. So, it's like, if you think about like, if you describe someone you love, mm-hmm. it's really hard to describe why do you love this person so much when you actually write it down and you look at it, you can't tell if you're describing your spouse, your friend, your dog, you know, it's like, Right. It's hard to articulate those feelings, and that's mm-hmm. it's the same with the why. Right. So, from from what you just said, it sounds like the words of of a why of your why have changed and will continue to evolve over time as you understand it more clearly. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you think about the the actual why 
changing. I mean, as we develop as, as humans, as we develop uh, emotionally, we go through certain crisis points in our life. Um, you know, we've talked about the midlife crisis for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Erickson actually says that there are crisis points at pretty much every stage, yeah. age and stage of life, right? We just don't talk about them as much because people in the other, uh, at other ages and stages have not spent nearly as much money as the people in the crisis mm-hmm. do. Um, do you see people's why changing over time? Or is this something that is kind of a lot more consistent and constant than we, we typically tap into? You know, I think, I think it depends on the person. I think there are major life events that can affect you and can change the trajectory of your life. And, and that's okay. You know? And so I, I don't believe in things being a hundred percent set in stone, you know, who says the why is to help you find fulfillment. So if something changes in your life and there's something else that would cause you more fulfillment, by all means, let's change the why to that. You know, I think it's, I think you're, I think in general, you know, my, I'll, I'll say my why hasn't changed. You know, I, if anything, I've just realized more ways that I can apply it to things. Right. But if it, if there was something else that if I had, what if something happened in my life that changed my why I would change it. You know, I wouldn't just stick myself in this box just because I said it had to be this way. Right. I think you have to keep, you know, looking for that, that what, what drives me, what makes me want to wake up before my alarm clock goes off every day. Right. So I think for some of us in the audience, I think for many of us, we, we kind of grow up. Uh, we have this picture of what we want to be. Uh, we drive towards that and, you know, maybe it's going into big finance and getting to New York and, and we get there and we have that big job. And at some point later in life, we realize this is not what I thought it would be. This is not fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's something scary about this for a lot of folks. And I'm wondering, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to articulate what I think some of my, my, uh, listeners might be thinking, like, I don't know that I want to do this because that means I'm going to have to change. Mm-hmm. a lot about my life. Mm-hmm. Um, what experience do you have? I mean, you're working with college kids. So college kids are in a great spot to do this. They're mm-hmm. not going to have to change that much, even if it's just a major. It's not, not right. earth shattering. Right. What experience do you have kind of seeing people at a different age and stage mm-hmm. and how they deal with the ramifications of being not living their why for the last 20 years? Well, most of what I do now with my time is a lot of speaking and, and consulting and workshops. And I do actually do why discovery for organizations and for people. And I think work is where we spend most of our time mm-hmm. and to think that 87% of us are not engaged. The, what I think is, wow, that is so sad that we dedicate so much time to something that is not, you know, we're living for the weekend. We can't wait until Friday. And there's a lot of talk about, oh, the millennials are such a purpose-driven generation. I think we're all purpose-driven. I just think that maybe older generations didn't know that chasing after fulfillment was an option. And now it is an option. And Mm -hmm. I think the definition of success has changed. You know, I think for older generations, it was to stay in the same company and to work your way up and to get the corner office or to, you know, it's to be loyal to this, to the same company and to have a lot of years under your belt in the same company. And 
we're not seeing that. 91% of millennials expect to stay in a job for less than three years because right. they want to find what that, that place is. So it's scary. Change is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say we hired my mother, which I never thought in a million years would ever happen. She's a baby boomer. Um, but not because of that, just because she's my mom. That's what I never thought would happen. Right. She had stopped working. My sister, Lauren and I were out of the house and I said, what's your dream job? You know, this is your chance. And she said, I want to work at StudioMate. So she helps us out and, and she works in our office, but she is so fulfilled in her job and she has her why. And what she shared with our team is I'm just, I'm sad because I never felt like this in any other job that I had. And I think about all the time I spent in these places and to know that this is what it could have felt like, you know, that it's sad. So I think it's, it's sad, but we have the chance to change that. If we're not fulfilled, why go another day with that? You know, let's, let's find what makes us tick so that we can go home at the end of the day feeling like we, we did something that actually mattered today. And whether you're 21 or 61, you know, I don't, let's do it. Right. Yeah. So along those lines, what kind of tactical advice do you have for people making those kind of real life changes? I mean, mm-hmm. it could be, we're talking about things that could be very significant. Right. Um, you know, I would be, I'm trying to imagine somebody who is really, really distant from their, their own why, and they make some kind of significant breakthrough. And I don't even think you'd have to be that distant, but then coming back and telling your spouse, Hey, right. Um, I'm having these discoveries about myself and now I want to change the way we live. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just gone from, Hey, discoveries about myself to change the way we live. Right. So uh, how do you, how do you talk people through that? If you're helping them with some of these discoveries, if they're being honest, they're coming back to you saying, Kristen, I can't, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, what I am not saying is that if you are unfulfilled, change your job. Right. What I'm saying is let's try to piece together what are our best days at work and what happened on those days. And let's provide some clarity to ourselves around what makes me happy and fulfilled. And then let's look for opportunities to do those things more. I think before you make any change, it's so important to sit down with the, your team or your, you know, the, lead, the your leader, or your boss, you know, and say, hey, I want to be happy and fulfilled. And when, when I am that, you will get a better employee out of me. And these are the things that make me happy. And I would like to be doing more of these things. And I will say as the owner of a company, sometimes I don't know that about somebody and I wish I did. And I am so thankful when they tell me because my, all I want are for people to be fulfilled. So if I don't know, and you leave because of that, how sad, because I could have fixed that for you. Right. So I think it's not, the first instinct is not, should not be, let, let me change my job because what student made shows is we can live our why in a cleaning yeah. company. We, maybe we can live it where we are. We just need yeah. to have better, different opportunities in that place. Yeah. No, I think that's a, it, to rephrase what you said, it's not about abandoning what you've built. Mm-hmm. It's about finding what in, in the pieces, in what you've built is really exciting to you. There's something there. It drew you in to begin with. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a piece of it that's kept you moving for, for this many years. Now, if you go to your boss and you say, this is what would make me happy. And your boss does not care and says, well, sorry, we're not doing, you know, then yeah, I would say, should we be there? Right. 
but yeah. I wouldn't give up on a place until you've had that conversation. So a, a few more questions here. Um, I have this concept that, that floats around in my mind that I think about inner game versus outer game. So I think we have this dialogue with ourselves um, and, and we kind of have a way we think about things that the outside world usually doesn't see. And I think about that as an inner game. Like I, and I'm in control of that game too. Um, the, the stories I tell myself about myself and about the people around me, that's all inner game kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The outer game is what people in the world see, right? Those two can be very different. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. when we're living kind of in, in pretty good alignment with ourselves, they're actually pretty, pretty similar. Um, how much of this finding my why and then kind of starting to live it, how much of that do you see as being inner game versus outer game? Or is this a construct that really doesn't, doesn't apply? In your mind? Well, I think, you know, I think when you don't know your why there's going to, there will always be a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you know your why it gives you something to talk about. So for example, going to a networking event, maybe in the past I would have said, my name is Kristen and I own a cleaning company, but inside I'm thinking it's more than that. Oh, you know, and they're looking at me like, Oh, a cleaning company, you know, and now I go into a place and I say, my name's Kristen. I have a company that empowers people to try. And they say, what? Tell me more. And I say, Oh, well we clean, you know, it just changes. We'll I clean feel your like, house too. Yeah. I feel like I'm telling them who I am. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking about the what's. And I think right. what happens is we define ourselves by the what's when we don't know our why. And that's what feels off. So mm-hmm. I think the why is critical to aligning those two. Um, and you know, that the book start with why means start with your cause, your belief, right? Then talk about what you actually do. Yeah. So a couple of standard questions. Um, the first is if you had one piece of tactical advice uh, for these ambitious corporate professionals, something they can do today, like literally pick up a phone, read this, do something today that will help them change their life or their career. Mm-hmm. What, what's that one piece of advice you would give? Well, I'll relate it to the why stuff since we've been talking about that. I would call one or two people who have worked with you closely. And I would say, can you tell me what you think my biggest contribution is or what they are? You know, a few of them. Can you tell me what, in your opinion, do I add to this organization? Or when we work together, did I add to our relationship? What, what was it that made me different than somebody else? And tell them the reason I'm asking you is because I'm trying to find, you know, my why. Mm-hmm. And, now I'm gonna I'm gonna throw I'm gonna put a fast one on you here. Um, mm-hmm. The best business book you've ever read that Simon Sinek didn't write. Delivering Happiness, written by Tony Shea. It totally changed my company. It talks about values and how to really live them, mm-hmm. but also where I got many of our ideas about culture and how we began to build a place where people came came before anything else. Yeah. Now speaking of business books. Mm-hmm. I understand that we should be anticipating a book from you in, in, in a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hopefully in the fall, if I finish it. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a title? Should we be keeping our eyes open for that? Yeah. So we don't. So the book is about learning how to lead by screwing up. Okay. And it will be out in the fall. I'm really excited. We are 
doing the the final stages of editing now. So it's been a a labor of love. It's been two and a half years, and I just cannot wait for it to be to be done. <laughs> yes, I've talked to uh, at least a half a dozen uh, authors personally about the process about how they do it. It's almost completely convinced me to never even. Try. <laughs> <laughs> but people do it again, and they, they keep. Yes, I know. Right? <laughs> even the, the guys that complain the most. Yeah. They they do it again the fastest. Yeah. Totally. There's something there. But yes. yeah, it's it's uh I'm excited. It'll it'll be out in the fall. Cool. Well, when it comes out, we will have you back uh just to promote that book. If you'll Great. Come. I would love to. Cool. Um, Kristen, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh if my audience uh would like to get a hold of you, either if you're in, in Florida around Gainesville and you need your house cleaned and you want to understand more about this company. Or if you're curious about how do I figure out my why and how does that really work, what's the best way for folks to reach you? Sure. Well, my website would probably be the best. It's kristenhadid.com and that is K-R-I-S-T-E-N-H-A-D as in David, E-E-D as in David.com. And you can find links to StudentMade. You can contact me on the website. That would probably be the best spot. Cool. And folks, you can find links in the show notes here uh, for all of that. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hardway MBA. Look us up on Twitter at Hardway MBA. Our website's hardwaymba.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, we've got groups everywhere. If you don't guess we should be talking to, please make an introduction. Nothing says thank you to me like referring this podcast to your friends. Drop a link to them. Let them know they should listen. Thank you so much.